Welcome to Dumb Love. I'm Sally Brooks. And I'm Jenna O'Neill Smith. And this is a podcast about all of the dumb things that people will do for love. Welcome to episode 106. How are you? How are all uh, of you? How are you? <laughs> <laughs> you guys answer. Uh, I am good. I'm good. I am home again. Yeah, Sorry. you were just gone for two full weeks. Like, was it right? It was two full weeks. Yeah, it was two full weeks. And then we got home, and Ben's brother and, and my sister in law and, and kids, like niece and nephews, were here. Um, our niece was visiting is visiting colleges, which is crazy. Oh, and wow. she went to go see Georgia Tech. And so, oh, so she's a smarty pants. She's eh? a smarty pants. Yeah. And so we're crossing our fingers because she really liked it. Oh, good. Yeah. So we were like, maybe we'll get her down to Atlanta. Oh, that's um, exciting. I hope yeah, she it was in. exciting. My cousin um, goes to Georgia Tech and my cousin Hunter, he's a genius. Ooh. It's a great school. Yeah. Great yeah. school. Mm-hmm. It's very exciting. I wanted to tell you this is so just thinking this is completely off topic. Uh-huh. Apologies. <laughs> um, I was talking last night to my brothers and sister-in-law. And um, and my sister-in-law, Tasha, listens to the podcast. Oh, hi, and- Tasha. Hi, Tasha. Um, and she was saying, so she and uh, my 12-year-old nephew, Owen, she was like, uh, so Owen and I listened to the podcast. And I was like, from last uh, yeah. week. And I was like, uh-oh. <laughs> I was like, was it appropriate? She was like, in the beginning, <laughs> I forgot I told that really just gross quickie that oh, made about you the guy, cringe uh, about the guy and the Elmo doll. I was yeah, like, that's oh. not really what I wanted the introduction. And she was like, it was fine. But then she was telling me that they were listening to your crazy story. And she was like, we were both so like it was so good and we oh, were like good. on the edge of our seats that they like my brother came out and the two of them are just sitting in the car because they wanted to listen to the end of the story oh my god i See, know that's awesome that may can you hear this noise like they're cutting my neighbor's tree fell on our house yesterday or t- oh. last night and now they're cutting it down Is i can't really hear right? i can okay good hear okay. Noises okay. from around my, which I'm assuming people are cutting down trees here. Oh, okay. That was a crazy storm last night. Yeah, I slept through the whole thing. Did you? Good for you. Yeah. <laughs> um. So, um, th- see, then that I'm really glad that I waited to tell that story because, you, like, I you know wanted to make sure that I had everything right. Yeah, and but, it was great. Yeah. Good. But Man. yeah, so I was like, that's perfect. That's very validating. <laughs> Thank you. Yep. I just love the idea of like Tasha and Owen just sitting in the car and Keith being like, what are you doing? <laughs> and he just hears my, your voice, my, your voice and then my laugh coming out. <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah. So cool. Yeah. So we're back. We're back. We're both in Atlanta. Uh, school is starting soon. Everything is, I'm sure, going to calm down with all of our work. And yeah. uh, things are starting to get back to normal, right? Right? I hope so. Right, I really, Jen? really <laughs> hope so. <laughs> Let's get into some quickies. All right. 
Jen, I'm first this week. Yes. I have – okay, kind of – don't have to answer this, but have you ever – like when you were younger, did you ever do anything to like try to get revenge on an ex or someone who'd like done you wrong? Uh, revenge on an ex of mine? No, I never – but I definitely helped friends get revenge on other people. Did you? I was yeah. – well, I so I got this story. It's kind of about a woman seeking revenge. Okay. And I was thinking about it. I was like, well, I've never done that. And then I had this, like, flashbulb memory of Dr. Dude fucking I, my, like, high school boyfriend who – um, I like had when I went to college, he was like my first love, Andy, and he had broken up with me. And so we were home over some break from college and we like took these, for some reason, these glass vases and we're like, we're going to go smash them in his driveway <laughs> and then he'll pop his tires when he comes and out. And his parents will pop their tires <laughs> and they didn't do anything. 100%. raise a shitty kid, I guess. And he wasn't even shitty. I mean, Aww. he was, you know, like he broke up with me as you should when one person goes away to college and the other person yeah, is home, right. right? Oh my gosh. But like the thing is, is that a, he lived with his parents. B, he didn't have his driver's license. So it wasn't like he was going to be driving and come across. Oh, no. Uh, but anyway, so we drive past his co- his house. We throw these glass vases. And they're like such thick glass that they just bounce. <laughs> they didn't even crack. And so and we were like, just thanks like, for the free vases. <laughs> yeah. Hey, thanks so much. Yeah. We were just like, wah, wah. And just kept driving. We're like, well, I guess we weren't built for revenge. Oh, man. <laughs> I love – I miss, like, being in high school and, like, those, like, driving around hijinks, you know? Yes. Oh, yeah. Yeah. We used to steal yes. lawn ornaments, which I now feel really bad about. Uh-huh. I was just thinking about the other day. There was this fox – there's this fox, um, like, lawn ornament. My daughter's obsessed with foxes. And the other day we were walking, and she was like, the fox is gone. <gasps> I'm like, why Why is the fox gone? And I was like, uh, maybe they moved. And somebody else moved. And she's like, no, but the goat's there, but the fox isn't there. And I was like, someone probably stole it. Yeah. Some idiot kid, like, <laughs> you know, me when I was in high school, when we used to go around and steal lawn ornaments. Like, there was this house that had – like like 30 different ceramic garden gnomes yeah and we stole like 12 of them and so we all like all seven of us girls each had our own garden gnome (laughs) and one it was like fucking karma man like one after the next like something terrible would happen to one of us and then we'd look over and the gnome in our room would be smashed and there'd be like all these like rocks and pebbles from inside the gnome all over. They were like cursed. We were cursed from stealing them. Uh, And then one time we stole, there was this like giant goose that we wanted. We're like, these people would like dress Dress the goose. Yeah. Yeah, That was a huge thing where I grew up. That was Was a huge thing in Ohio. Yeah. Yeah. So we wanted the (laughs) fucking goose. So we like one night we decide it was, and you know, Anna, my good friend, Anna, Mm -hmm. we were in her tiny little like red Nissan Sentra, I think it was. And, like, we decided to, like, go get the goose. And me and my friend Leslie ran up to it. And then we didn't realize this thing weighed, like, 90 pounds. Oh, yeah. And so we, <laughs> That's like. That's why we a, just stole the, the clothes. Yeah. <laughs> so then we, like, dragged it all the way into Anna's car and put it in her car. And the goose was so heavy that Anna got flat tires on the way home. <laughs> and then all we could get, we couldn't even get this goose inside. All we could do was, like, get it into the backyard of my friend Leslie's house. And then the next day, her dad, who was, at the time, the captain 
of a very big police department here in Atlanta. Um, I'm not going to say which one. It's not Atlanta. It's yeah. a different <laughs> like, so, But he was like, where did you guys get this goose? And we were like, uh, the first store. He's like, really? Because of the mud on the feet. Uh, that's been sitting for a while. And we were like, fuck. And then he like made us go. He's like, return the goose. And then we had to go like return the goose to someone. We went to the wrong house. Like, don't go to the house of your friend whose dad is like a detective. Yeah. Slash captain. I mean, I feel like from the beginning, this was not a good plan. Yeah. <laughs> like, from the beginning, you guys were proving yourselves to be really Shit bad heads. criminals. Yes. Shit heads. <laughs> um, well, this woman in my story had a little bit better plan, but also not the best. So, uh-huh. okay. So I got my article from Yahoo News by Joshua Zitzer. So police in Shoking, China started investigating after they noticed that the same Audi had racked up 49 tickets for running red lights in just two days. And so these are all like automatic camera tickets. Yeah. You know? And so they looked it up and they found that the owner was this man named Kwan and they went to Quan. They're like, what are you doing? And he was like, I didn't even have my car during this red light running spree. Like I had rented, he had rented out his car to this man named Zoo. And it doesn't say, but I'm just going to guess that this is like standard practice in a big city in China to kind of like rent out your car when you're not using it. Maybe, uh-huh. you know, I mean, I know they do like ride shares in New York. Uh, so I think. Actually, recently heard about this that they're starting to do that here, like where you rent out your car. Yeah, so like, like Airbnb for, for your car, kind of. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. So, so the police tracked down the guy who rented it and are like, "Dude, what's up with running the red lights?" And he eventually confesses he did it for a woman. So apparently, Zoo was trying to get with this woman um, who used to date Quan, <gasps> and so Quan had dumped the woman. <clears throat> sorry, Quan had dumped the woman for someone else, and she was. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So to get revenge, she concocted this whole scheme where she would have someone rent his car, run a series of red lights, and then return it in time for like, so that he would have the car when the 49 tickets would come in the mail to Quan. That is actually, it's like kind really of genius, smart, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Except it's Except. like, it's like you did it too much. Like if she had just, yeah. if they had just done like, Four Three or five. Or four. Yeah. Yeah. But 49. Like, oh so. Oh my God. Wow. Yeah. So, Zoo, who was the guy who did the red light running, he, like, he just wanted to date this woman. And she was like, I'll only date you if you rent this car and run the red lights. Oh my so God. Both the woman, whose name is Lou, that's why, because it's Lou and Zoo, um, uh-huh. were both arrested on <gasps> suspicion of provoking trouble. And so, wow. I'm not sure this just happened. I'm not sure what has happened to them, but they both I got mean, arrested. It's a really smart idea, but also dangerous, like, you know, for other drivers. It is. Well, yeah, that is the thing is, right? Yeah. Like, because if you're running red lights, like, I mean, maybe if you're doing it, like, very late at night when there's no one else on the road. I mean, you could have yeah. just, like, rented the car and then, like, you know, put some slices of deli meat underneath the seats or something. Right. You know and what just, I mean? Something, something that would just subtle. get Yeah. later. And you could be like, that wasn't me that put the deli meat under the seat. That was the last person that rented it before me. Right. How are you going to prove that I left the deli meat? All right, you guys, we have your, this is what you should do. (laughs) Go get some deli meat. 
Although I don't know, Liz, like we've heard what Jen's criminal past has gotten her in the yeah, before, so I'm not maybe the don't best listen criminal. to her. I'm not <laughs> the best criminal. Yes. Um, awesome, dude. That's yeah. a great story. Yeah. I love that. Uh, so for my quickie this week, I got it from an article for uh, CBS Local News for New York, um, written by Steve Obermeyer. Dude, I mean, I'm just so okay. If you could pick any celebrity to show up, because I've seen this happen before, like celebrities like just materializing at weddings out of nowhere. Like maybe they're in the hotel that you're getting married at. Like a friend of a friend, this happened to a friend of a friend, like Conan O'Brien just happened to be, see that there was a wedding and then he just invited himself into it. And like Conan was at his wedding. But like if you could pick anybody, who would you want to be at your wedding? Who would I want to be at my wedding? Celebrity. I feel like this is I my mind just blanked of every celebrity ever. I know, like I feel like I'd want to do something like you know, like somebody hot, like John Stamos or something. But, but then, then like, but then it's your wedding, yeah, you really and then it just wouldn't wedding. feel right, yeah, right? yeah. So I'm thinking, trying to think of like a woman who you'd be like oh Oprah. My God. Oprah, Betty White, like someone like who yeah. it would just everybody would be like, oh, Beyonce. So Beyonce. Okay, Beyonce. Yeah. It's going to okay, be I Beyonce. Beyonce. Yeah. yeah. And then maybe she'd like sing a tune. Although she I probably know, really would. want Beyonce because she would like upstage you at your wedding. I, I mean, I guess would not care. Would, if you're right. And if there was anyone that I would want to upstage me, <laughs> it would definitely be Beyonce. Okay. We choose Beyonce. Okay. At, well, our, at our wedding, Jen. <laughs> yes. We'll both have Beyonce at our wedding. Yep. Okay. Um, and then we'll have like, you know, dueling Beyonce's. How about it'll be Beyonce at your wedding to John Stamos? I'll take that. Okay. I will take that. <laughs> Although John Stamos is married. And so am I. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, but just last week um, at the – and you're probably familiar with this because you're from – New York, but at the Jane's Carousel in Dumbo, New York, which is in Brooklyn, uh-huh. Sabrina and Brian Carden were taking their wedding photos, you know, at this really cool carousel. And they were on the carousel and it was like, like going like in yeah. circles when she looked to the side and was like, oh my God, that's Jeff Goldblum. No way. And, that's um, so fun. <laughs> She said that normally she would never like scream at a celebrity or something, but she said, quote, but the magic of wearing the wedding dress just like swept me up, which I totally understand. It's like when you're in that dress, you just feel like you can do anything. You know what I mean? You feel (laughs) very special. So she screamed like, hey, Jeff Goldblum. And um, she said that she was like, you know, embarrassed. But then as they were turning around, she saw that he was waiting at the carousel for them to get off. So he waited for them. She thought that they were just going to take a picture, you know, like like he was waiting to say hi and take a picture with yeah. him. But when they got off the carousel, Jeff Goldblum, because he's so amazing, started singing um, Sunrise Sunset from Fiddler on the Roof to them. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I would have been like, I don't know. So they song. were serenaded by Jeff Goldblum. And here's why that song is, is actually really special to her. She said, the meaning of it being about how sort of a wedding is a time for families to realize that, you know, life passes by so quickly. And then she said that the reason why it was so perfect was she recently converted to Judaism. 
this is her quote. She said, having Jeff Goldblum show up and serenade us to a, serenade us to a song that is about a Jewish wedding made me feel you are Jewish. You are welcome. You are part of this. This is who you are. And it just brought tears to my eyes. I Isn't love that. that. Cool? Yeah. It's like special in so many different ways. And also Jeff Goldblum is fucking awesome, dude. He is awesome. Like I would also take Joel, Jeff Goldblum at my wedding. I would too. That's like a great pick because he is someone that just like makes everybody be like, Jeff Goldblum. Like, yeah. Career. Like he seems like a great person to have at a wedding. I like, know. He like, seems like he'd be fun. He's, yeah. I'll and that, and that spot is so beautiful. Like the spot yeah. where it's like you have the whole city in the background on the yeah. – like where the carousel is. Yeah, and the water, and the water, and and the boats, and the yeah, and the beautiful wedding dress, gorgeous bride. I can't wait for you guys to see these pictures. It's amazing. (laughs) I love that. Oh, oh my god! You know who we should have said? Who? And I can't. Oh my god, Steve Harvey. We I take, take it back. Yeah. Motherfucking Steve Harvey. Steve Harvey. How about, I want Steve Harvey at my funeral. How about that? I'll take Beyonce at my wedding, Steve Harvey at my funeral. Let's do that. Oh, and you in a matching Steve Harvey suit? Bury me in a purple suit. <laughs> and I want Steve Harvey wearing the same suit standing next to my casket. Like oh, on the family fucking feud. Jen I want a family feud button. <laughs> I want Next everybody to, my to realize five words. What are five words these hundred people at the funeral use to describe Jen? Dead. <laughs> Number one. Ding, ding, ding. Yes. Um, Here we go. Oh, man. That's what I want. Steve Harvey. Yeah. Okay. Steve Harvey. <laughs> that's the only way we're going to get him now. We've been talking about this for two years now about how what do we need to do to get Steve Harvey. I'm going to have to die. I don't think it's worth it, but I'm going to remember this for when you're 98 (laughs) and I'm 102. (laughs) What if we had co-funerals? What if we died together and we were both wearing matching Steve Harvey suits and Steve Harvey was also there in a Steve Harvey suit playing the family feud? Someone make this happen. If we have meant anything to you. If we have meant, if this show has meant anything to you, please bury us in those purple Kill us suits. on the same day. <laughs> Murder us together. Thank you. Together. And then get Steve Harvey. <laughs> oh, man. This is dark. This is dark. Right, let's but... get into some dark, uh, dark stories. Oh, like. okay. I have one okay. that's real dark. Okay. All right. Hey, Jen. Hey, Sally. Are you ready for a true crime story? I am. Okay. I just want to put a warning out that there's some graphic stuff. This is – we're talking about um, some domestic abuse in this one. So if that Uh, is triggering, then please just, you know, skip like 20 minutes to Jen's beautiful love story. story. I got my information from uh, cbsnews.com, 48 Hours, produced by Liza Finley. Um, from a people.com article by Rose Mintagulio, from Tampa Bay Times by Laura Morell, and a show called In an Instant on ABC. Ooh. Okay. These two teenagers named Serena and Israel were hanging out in a park in Clearwater, Florida late at night. They were like 
the kind of I don't, I'm sure you had friends like this, like guy friends like this when you were a teenager, where it's like you weren't dating, but you always hung out, and yeah. you know you were, you know you were almost at the verge of dating, but you weren't. So they were just like sitting on a picnic bench. It was like three in the morning. They're eating junk food. They're talking, kind of flirting, and then all of a sudden they heard a woman <laughs> scream. And the first time they heard it, they kind of stopped what they were doing, but they didn't move. And then it happened again. And they both just, without thinking, started running towards the scream. It was sounded like it was on the other side of the park. So Serena said that she thought at first it sounded like a child being hurt. So, oh, no. but it was 3 a.m. It didn't make sense. So they're running, they're running to, towards the sound and they're like, do you hear it? Can you see anything? And And finally they get to the street that runs along the west side of the park And they knew it was going to be something bad from the screams. But what they ran into was a horror movie. Oh, no. The screams were coming from a woman who was lying on the ground. And over her was a man who was repeatedly, like, lifting a knife over his head and then (gasps) stabbing the woman. Oh, my God. So without thinking, Serena screams for the man to stop. And he looks up. And when he, like, pauses, Israel rushes over and pushes the man. And the man kind of turns and, like, runs to his car. And he's like, I have a gun. And the woman on the ground who was, like, covered in blood, she, like, reaches up her hand to Serena and begs her to save her. <gasps> and oh Serena God, that reaches. Is so intense for a teenager. Right? And so Serena reaches back out to the woman, but then out of the corner of her eye, she sees the man rushing back towards her in Israel. So, oh my God. She starts calling 911 on her cell phone as she runs. And she tells the 911 operator that she saw, she said, I saw a woman being murdered on the street. So Serena turns, expecting the man to be right behind her. But instead, she sees him running back to the woman who is now like kind of trying to drag herself out of the street. And she sees the man take what looks to be another bigger knife out of the car and start stabbing the woman again. Oh, my God. And Serena is screaming into the phone, into like to the 911 operator. He just killed her. He just killed her. Oh, my God. So Serena and Israel run because they're like, he's coming after us next. And she's giving the description of the man and his car. God, this is like a horror movie. It's a straight up horror movie. Oh, my God. So, I mean, it's like, yeah, like two innocent teenagers flirting in a park and then yes um so the like as as they're running serena's like giving a description of the man and then a police officer named melissa harris who happened to be just sitting in her car filling out paperwork on the other side of the park is getting an alert of the of the attack Mm -hmm. so within two minutes she is at the scene but by that time the man has gotten into his truck and driven off and the teenagers serena israel like have run and so she shines her light on the road, but she's like expecting to see a red pickup truck and a a man and, you know, someone being murdered. But she's like doesn't see anything at first. But then she sees like kind of a lump on the side of the road and she sees it barely moving. And it was the woman. And Officer Harris said that to this day, she's never seen anyone injured as badly. And she believes she was arriving at a murder scene. But despite this brutal attack she could see that the woman was actually still breathing 
And she was like going in and out of consciousness. And a firefighter, an EMT who arrived at the scene right after, um, his name was Cameron Hill. He saw how badly the woman was injured. And he immediately called a helicopter to life flight her to the hospital. Because they were like, there's not enough time to get to the hospital. Officer Harris said she knew just based on the amount of blood loss that the woman likely wasn't going to survive. So she leans down and asks her, who did this to you? And the woman who tells the officer there that her name is Melissa Dome, despite the fact that she has been stabbed 32 times, including her facial muscle was was uh. like sliced, so she couldn't even like really move her her face like to talk. Uh-huh. But she was able to tell Officer Harris that the man was her ex boyfriend Robert Burton. She was able to give her his address and other information, and then she looks the officer and the firefighters in the eyes and says, I need to go now. I need to go to sleep. And they knew that if she closed her eyes, she would die. Oh, God. So Melissa Dome met Robert Burton. She was just a junior in high school, and he was a senior. And Melissa worked at this, like, popular hangout called the Dairy Curl and this is in Clearwater, Florida. So kids would like the cones. They did. So like kids would like come after the beach to like hang out there like to before they Mm -hmm. were like going home. And so she and Robert had caught each other's eyes and when he had been hanging out there with his friends and she thought that Robert was cute. He was like super tall. He had two different colored eyes. And so when they like finally talked at a party and and he asked her out, she was really excited. She and Robert quickly began spending all their time together. You know, this is like their her first like puppy love. And so the first year they were together, like things seemed very really good. Like she said that she loved him, he loved her. He had had this like rough childhood and he felt kind of like an outsider in his own family. His mom had gotten remarried to a man who had a bunch of kids and so his mom had actually, like the day he graduated, asked him to move out. Oh, that was like our last our story last week. Right? Yes. Yeah. So so Robert ended up spending a lot of time at Melissa's house. Like he would be there, you know, dinners and everything. And and Melissa was just like, I just wanted Robert to feel loved and accepted. And he did that at my house. Like her mom and her siblings like really made Robert feel included. Mm-hmm. Her family was like a little wary of how things, how fast things moved, but they liked him. Like he was charming. They could tell how much he loved Melissa. They would do things like on every month anniversary, they would go to the pier where they had their first date and take a picture. Like it was just very first love, you know. But Melissa says that once she started applying for colleges, like something about Robert changed. Melissa was like this super go-getter. She had straight A's. She was taking college classes in high school. And so she had like started winning like towards the end of her senior year. She started winning some like academic and these volunteer awards at school. Mm -hmm. She had over, she actually had over 600 hours of volunteer work at the hospital because her dream was to become a nurse. So she was like, of course, like accepted to any, all of the college she, colleges she applied to. When she started excelling and seemed like she was going to go away to school, he got super jealous and, like, scared that Melissa was outgrowing him. So he just, like, started putting her down all the time. He would call her names. He would tell her she was stupid. She was dumb. He routinely called her a bitch. And he, like, basically, it was like he was just beating her down. He, like, actually convinced Melissa to go to the local community college instead of going away to, like, a four-year university like she wanted and she had gotten into. 
And she kind of said she convinced herself that it was her idea, like, oh, this will save money. But of course, it was because of Robert, because he was like, you cannot leave me. So once she graduated from high school, she was like going to um, the community college and she was working at a hospital because, of course, she wanted to be a nurse. And Robert would just like come to the hospital where she worked and just sit there for hours oh and wait God, for her to get I off work. hate dudes like this. Right? Man. Yes. Yes. This is like a very familiar story. Yes. Right? It sure is. Like he's yeah. just keeping tabs on her and like wouldn't, you know, didn't want her to hang out with anybody without without him. But, like, of course, like, the outside world, like, their friends, their family, they thought Melissa and Robert were this perfect couple. They just thought they're, like, in new love. This is how young people are. They want to spend all their time together. And one day in the spring of 2011, Melissa's older sister invited her and Robert to a bonfire on the beach. And as they were, Melissa and Robert were leaving, someone, like, brought up this funny story about Melissa involving her Mm ex-boyfriend. Melissa knew the mention of an ex-boyfriend was going to make Robert crazy. So she's just thinking in her head, like, please stop, please stop, please stop. But they walk away. They walk up the dunes to the parking lot. And Robert keeps, like, stepping on the back of her. He's not saying anything, but he's stepping on the back of her shoe, you know, like, giving her a flat tire. Just, like, passive aggressively. Yes. And so she starts running and being like, stop it. And he runs after and she's, like, starts getting actually very scared. And then Mm -hmm. at the top of the dune, he, like, pushes her down (gasps) this big hill. And she's, like, all scraped up. She starts screaming. And everyone from the bonfire came. And Robert's, like, oh, my gosh, Melissa just fell. This was, like, an accident. And Melissa's, like, at the bottom. She's, like, no, he pushed me. And Robert's, like, why are you lying? Oh, my God. So Melissa's sister was just, like, Robert, you need to leave. I'm going to take Melissa home. And she was like, on the way home, she was like, Melissa, you need to leave this guy. This is crazy. And Melissa did, but just for a few weeks, you know, she, he did what like many abusers do. Like he just, when anytime she would push back or say that she was going to leave, he would threaten suicide. Right. And she would say, you guys, this is like such a familiar story. Like the abuse, like, and the abuse escalated, right? They got back together and it just, Of course, it, like, didn't stop. It just escalated. So one day they were in her bedroom and Robert got mad at her and he put his hands around her throat to strangle her. And when he finally let go, he told Melissa that if she told anyone, he would kill her and her mom. Oh, my God. And so she was terrified and she didn't tell anyone. She felt completely trapped. I mean, this is... She believed him. She was like, he seemed serious. Obviously, yeah. he went far enough to like strangle her. It's like things like this just continued to happen. Oh my God. But she would just tell like her when her mom would ask, like, how are things with Robert? Like her mom, they knew about the the fall down the hill, but Melissa yeah. totally downplayed it. And she just kept reassuring her family that things were going great because she was like, if I tell anyone what's happening to me, he's gonna kill. He's going to kill me or kill my family. And that oh, was – I mean, she was also 19 years old, you know? And this was her first boyfriend. She had, like, no no way – like, she just had no framework for, like, what is normal. So one day in October of 2011, Robert and Melissa are at a party with friends. And he's like, go go buy me cigarettes. And she said – she's like, I don't know what was wrong with me, but I was like – it's I just hate that she thinks something's wrong. She was like, I was feeling feisty, so I told him no. And then he got super mad at her. And, of course, he didn't do anything in front of other people. But when they left the party and pulled up at Melissa's house, 
As soon as the car stopped, he grabs her cell phone, wallet, and keys and throws them across the street. Oh, my God. And then he pulls her out of the car and starts punching her. He, like, threw her to the ground. He punched her, and she was, like, kicking out. And she managed to, like, kick him in the balls and run. And she ran. She was, like, she had taken note of where he had thrown her phone. And so she grabs her phone and punches in 911. But then she, like, doesn't press send. He told her over and over if she called the police, he'd kill her. So, But then she mm-hmm. looks up and he's like two steps behind her. And oh so she God. hits send and runs. And as she's running, she's telling the 911 operator, he's going to call me. He's going to kill me. Send the police. But then she realizes that he's no longer behind her. And she thinks, oh, my God, he's gone to my house and he's got my mom. So she runs. Oh as she's God. on the phone, she runs back towards her house. And suddenly he jumps out of the bushes <gasps> and attacks her. Oh, my God. And the 911 operator hears her say, oh, stop. And Robert say, no, I'm not going to stop. And at that moment, the police pull up. So, yes. So the officers arrest Robert and one of them takes Melissa inside to talk to her mom because they're like right outside her house. And they talk to both of them about kind of the cycles of domestic violence. And they tell her that he will never stop. She didn't tell her mom. She was like ashamed. She was like, I just want my mom to be proud of me. And the mm-hmm. fact that she's like felt like she had let this go on, I'm putting that in quotes of let this go on. She like didn't want her mom to know. But now that like her secret was out in the open, and of course she had her family support behind her, Melissa finally did break away from Robert. And he was sent to jail. Uh, he was there overnight. He was only charged with a misdemeanor, but he was given a restraining order and told to stay away from her. And he did. And it seemed for about three months, he didn't make any contact. And during that time, Melissa said she felt like her old self. She was like hanging out with friends and planning to go to Europe. She had her 20th birthday. She celebrated by going skydiving. And she said, yeah, she said she felt like she had had her life given back to her. And then three months after the attack, in the middle of the night, Melissa was woken up by a phone call from Robert and she ignored it. He called again and she ignored it again. But after so many times... She knew that he was not going to stop until she answered. And so she was like tired. She was like, it was the middle of the night. So she answered. And he starts telling her like, I'm so sorry for what happened. I love you so much. I'm going to leave you alone forever. I just want to see you one last time to say goodbye. I just want one last hug. And so he asked her if he could come over right then. And Melissa said, no, seriously, leave me alone. But he kept insisting like, I promise this is the last you'll hear from me. And he began to cry and said, after everything we've been through over the last two years, you can't just give me a hug. She didn't feel scared. She just said, like, he seemed pathetic. You know, I just wanted to get it over with so I could go back to sleep and get him out of my life. So she, like, reluctantly agreed. In her gut, she was like, this isn't right, you know? Like, but she had already walked outside and he was there. So it wasn't Mm -hmm. like he, he was already there when he called. And so she walks over to him and he wraps his arm around her to give her a hug. And that is when she heard the click of a switchblade (gasps) and felt the knife plunge into her shoulder and then into the back of her neck. Oh, my God. And you know the rest. So that is when he was stabbing her. So when the helicopter arrived, Melissa had just slipped from consciousness. And the EMT Cameron Hill lifted Melissa into the helicopter. And he was like, I wonder if this woman is going to survive. I hope I see her again. 
And Melissa flatlined on the way to the hospital. Oh, my God. But she was revived. She flatlined four times that night. She suffered a stroke from the blood loss and had cuts on her arms, her neck, her face. Her teeth were knocked out. Her skull was cracked. Uh, The trauma surgeon said she was seconds away from dying. But somehow, Melissa survived. Thank God. And while she was being saved in the hospital that night – Robert Burton was found. He had taken a bunch of sleeping pills and crashed his car into the side of a building. So he was taken to the hospital. And by the time he was awake enough to talk, about two days later, he confessed. He did? Yes. Well, I mean, like. What? I mean, what is what? There's like so much evidence against him. Um, And also in the car, in his car, they found like other weapons not a gun but a crowbar a police billy club that he had all brought these things to attack melissa so even though melissa survived her attack it was of course a very long long road road to recover both mentally and physically she underwent many surgeries to repair the damage including to the muscles cut in her face like she couldn't even smile she said that when she got out of the hospital like she didn't even recognize herself and you can see the picture she looks like a different person But she was helped tremendously by this woman named Aubrey Mabry, who had survived a brutal attack two years earlier from her husband, a retired New York City detective. And he had actually beat her and burned her. And so Melissa says that meeting Aubrey, she was the first person I ever met who truly understood the internal and emotional damage that was done. Even though I survived this horrible attack, still internally I hadn't recovered. And Aubrey said, Melissa hadn't traveled through every chapter that I had traveled through, and I think I was sent to her, and she was sent to me, and I needed to teach her about the next chapter, which was forgiveness. And even the doctors and therapists told her that she would probably never walk again, that she would never be the student she was before. Melissa was just like, I have to do this. Like, I can't let him win. Mm -hmm. And so she worked so hard in physical therapy. And she asked the doctor, I want to go to Europe in May. Because she remembers she had planned that trip before with a friend when she was like thinking things were good. And so the doctor was just like, I think if you work really hard in therapy, there's a chance you could go. And she was like, that's all I need to hear. I'm good. I'm going to do it. And she said it just like that, like set her whole mood for recovery. She had this goal. So she like learned how to walk again. And three weeks out of the attack, she walked out of the hospital on her own with wow, no cane. three weeks? Yeah, no wheelchair. And she said it was a Friday when she went home and she had classes all day on Tuesday and Thursday. So she was like, all right, I'm going to class on Tuesday. So she said she didn't really know how it was going to do, but she was like, I loved school and I just wasn't going to let this stopped me. Like that was the bottom line. And Melissa actually ended up graduating on time and she was chosen as the commencement speaker and she did make it to Europe. Good. Yes. And she says, the trip changed my life. I remember being in Paris and staring at the Eiffel Tower and it was glittering at night and it was like sparkles and I was just crying. And my friend's like, why are you crying? Why are you crying? And I'm like, I'm so happy. Like, how am I here? Do you realize I was almost murdered and now I'm in front of the Eiffel Tower It really showed me that I can do anything. So when she got back from Europe with Aubrey's encouragement, Melissa decided to start speaking out about her attack. So the first speech that she gave, two of the firefighters who were at the scene were there to watch her. And Cameron Hill, who's the guy who called the helicopter, who like couldn't believe he like is watching her give the speech. He's like, I can't believe this is the same woman. Wow. And that she's doing so well. 
So after the speech, Cameron talked to Melissa's mom, and he invited Melissa and her mom to dinner at the station to meet the whole crew who had saved her. And it was at that dinner that Melissa and Cameron started this spark that would turn out to be a true love. Yeah, so he loved that. I know. He asked her out on a date, and they went on on that date, and then another one the next day, and then on one the day after that, and then every day after that. Oh, my God. So by the time Melissa faced Robert in court, a year and a month after the attack, she not only had her family and Aubrey, but also Cameron by her side. So Robert pled guilty, and at the sentencing, Melissa that must stood. Have been so hard to look at him again. Oh yes, my God. but she she stood up in court and she gave a speech directly to him. She said, "When you choose to forgive those who hurt you, you for, forever take their power, and that's what I'm doing today, Robert. I forgive you for coming to my house and attempting <sighs> to murder me." And she said, she told 48 Hours, she said, "I had Cameron on one hand and my mom on the other hand, and everyone else around me, and you know, I'm walking out of there." with my life back. And I remember looking at him one more time and they were doing his fingerprints and I watched the door close and I opened the next one and I walked out. Oh my God. So Robert was sentenced to life without parole. And Melissa, on the other hand, began working full-time as an advocate for this organization called Hands Across the Bay, which is a, an organization that advocates against uh, for teen violence protection and awareness. Mm-hmm. So on because of her work, on May 11th, 2015, Melissa was asked to throw out the first pitch for the Tampa Bay Rays uh, baseball game. And they asked Cameron to bring her out the ball as like the first responder who helped save her life. Oh, wow. I know. And so when he got out to the mound, he handed her the baseball and on it he had written, will you marry me? <gasps> That's amazing. I know. And she said yes. And Melissa and Cameron got married in this gorgeous fairy tale wedding at a farm in Dade County, Florida on March 4th, 2017. And Melissa said it was a fir- full circle moment. I had spent the worst and best day of my life with Cameron. And Cameron says it was beautiful. I married the girl of my dreams. And the two actually now own, they run an alpaca farm together. <laughs> That's awesome. I know. It's called Remedy Farm. And I think part of the goal, part of their like. Are they like therapy alpacas? They're therapy alpacas. Like that's part of the goal is to like bring people out and kind of heal people through alpacas. And she makes these really cute little alpaca. Sweaters? Not sweat. I don't know if they make sweaters, but um, they're like. uh, Sombreros. (laughs) Alpacas and sombreros. Bow ties? Okay. <laughs> Succulent holders that are in the shape of alpacas. Oh, <laughs> they that's like cool. little planters. Yeah. And she sells them around and um and it's very sweet. And they're just they're so cute. I kind of looked at her. I she has like a, a Facebook and Instagram and they're just oh, you know, I love- very much in love. And I'm just so happy that there was a happy ending for her. Me too. It is very rare that we have a true crime and love story all in the same story. Right? Um, that is a great story. I'm so glad she survived and is doing well and yeah, found the love of her life. And I hope Robert rots in fucking hell. Guess what? I, she forgave him, but I don't. <laughs> but I don't have to, right? I do. She had to do that for herself, but I don't. I, I don't, don't forgive her. I don't forgive you, Robert. Yeah. You're dead. Oh, man. I love that story. I know. It was a good well, one. Um, yes. And but and, you, and of course, you know, I did my tell of like when I'm telling you the like gruesome details, you know they survived. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I know. I had a feeling. But I didn't know it would end so well. Right? Yeah. 
So, <laughs> man, good one, Sally. Thanks, dude. All right. Well, I know we just had a love story, but Sally, are you ready for another love story? Jen, I will take a million love stories. Okay. As you know, Jen, I pushed this recording back a day and then 10 minutes later, but I was just having such a hard time. I was like, I don't want to get into something that's going to be so sad. Like, I don't know what, you know, sometimes you're just like, I just can't, I can't get into the details of these like awful stories. It's like, I I feel it's well. A- now I'm a little reluctant. <laughs> no, okay. <laughs> well, my love story uh, this week is is a love story, but I'm gonna go ahead and tell you, like, um, oh, first of all, this is an article for the Huffington Post, but it was written by Anne Gorowitz, who this is a letter that she wrote Huffington Post, and I want to read her letter, okay, or her her um story. So this is in all her words, the words of Anne Gorowitz. But the title of the story is, My husband of 45 years just died. Our love story is as unexpected as it is beautiful. So I, up top, so it's like your love story is, uh, or your, the true crime portion still had a love in it. Mine has tragedy, but it's also a love story. Okay. Okay. So we're we're kind of just out of balance this week. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. You know, this is just a very special episode of Dumb Love. How about that? <laughs> uh, so this is her story, and I'm reading it in her words. I couldn't believe the notebook wasn't there. My husband was on a breathing machine, unable to speak or leave his bed for three months after what was supposed to be a walk in the park surgery. At first, he used his iPad to stream movies, read the news, and write to me, good night, sweetheart. He'd text me before going to sleep, good morning, sweetheart. He'd text when he woke up, and I'd write the same back. It was our way of letting each other know that we were okay. Within two months, he was unable to concentrate enough to use technology. He started writing in a notebook, at first legibly, then barely, until he could no longer write at all. The book was all I had left of our last days together. I spoke to the attendant at the hospital security desk. The doctor said they'd include it in the transport to the palliative care unit, I told him. You have to find it, please. I'm begging you. We looked. It's not there, he replied. We'll keep looking, but it's doubtful that it'll show up. In the last entry, I drew a heart, and like an adolescent with a major crush, I wrote, Anne and Steve forever. My husband smiled at that. Now he and the book are gone, at least physically. Steve was practically the literal boy next door. We grew up in Brooklyn neighborhood with two degrees of separation at most, but we didn't know each other then. Years later, as elementary school teachers, we attended the same workshop in a Lower East Side loft, and I noticed him among the 20 participants. You look familiar, I said. He thought I was trying to pick him up. I wasn't. (laughs) (laughs) Then I was laid off from my position and transferred to another school. Steve was the first person I saw as I entered the building. Not that guy, I thought. (laughs) You can imagine my shock when one early morning around dawn, I heard a voice in my sleep. Steve, that teacher at work, he's so good looking, intelligent, and decent, it said. I woke up confused. Where is this coming from? And what did it mean? Isn't that weird that you can just like hear messages like that? This is me talking. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Um, And then she said, I wasn't sure, but the next time I saw him, I found myself looking at him differently. I noticed his blue eyes. I noticed his sexy, slender physique. 
I noticed the passion he had while working with the kids in his class. So I asked him to have lunch with me. He refused. (laughs) Then I asked him again and again. And one day he finally agreed and we went to a restaurant near our school. After chit-chatting about the children in our classes, our growing up in a working class neighborhood and high school we both attended, Steve, one grade behind me, he told me, I love the ballet. I love watching dancers, listening to music. I find it so beautiful and inspiring. And she said, "Um, let's go together, I said. Steve offered no response as he continued eating his grilled cheese sandwich as I watched him in awe. Even the tiniest things about him, the way his brown hair curled at the ends, the way his occasional smile lit up the room struck me. The next day I saw Steve in the school hallway and said, hello, how are you doing? I asked him. Oh, I'm depressed. He replied, no reason. Just one of those days. When I feel depressed, I try to do something. And when I'm really depressed, I ask something to do someone to do something with me. I told him. And then he said, there's a Fellini film in the village. I've been wanting to see. Want to join me tonight? I hesitated after answering. Being available at the last minute went against any sound advice anyone ever gave me about dating, but I couldn't resist. Yes, I'd love to, I told him. We had dinner before the movie at the Riviera Cafe, a popular Greenwich Village restaurant, where through the huge glass windows, you could easily watch people walking as they strolled along 6th Avenue. And that's when he told me that he liked men. I've slept with Two women in my life, but I prefer men, he said. I swallowed what I had in my mouth and reached for my glass of wine. Then I wondered if it was possible that he hadn't been rejecting all of my invitations because of my looks or personality. Thanks for sharing, I heard myself saying. We could still be friends. (laughs) Like, thanks for sharing. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) We could still be friends. Um, As he shook his head yes, his hair skimmed his forehead, and I found it utterly arousing. At the movies, someone held someone's hand. After the film ended, Steve asked me, would you like to sleep sleep over at my apartment? I only live a few blocks from here. And she said, yes, I replied almost instantly. We were married for 45 years. Steve would say we were together for 46 years since I moved into his apartment a few weeks after that night at the movies. In all that time, we couldn't figure out who held each other's hand first. Was it Steve? Was it me? Or was it beshert, uh, the Yiddish word for divinely foreordained? After all, it was a voice I heard in my sleep that brought us together. Wow. Isn't that wild? Yeah. yeah. Um, she said, it never mattered to me if he sometimes found a man attractive. So many people were so many people were experimenting in 1976. He was bisexual and slept with men before we were married and continued to do so after we were married with my blessing until AIDS came along. And then he felt it became too dangerous. I also slept with other men than Steve. He protested that doing so might mean I would get emotionally involved with someone else, but that never happened. Steve was my best friend, my soulmate. No one could compare. In all those years, the only thing that really bothered me was if he forgot my birthday. (laughs) She said, since my dad was ill for most of my childhood, birthdays were always put on the back burner and rarely celebrated. As an adult, I tried to drill it into Steve's head that birthdays were important to me. Very important. Uh, She said, the worst day of the year for me is your birthday, is what he said every time it was approaching. It was obvious he wanted to please me and finding something special made him incredibly anxious, but I knew he loved me more than anything and birthday or not, he always went out of his way to make me feel special. 
Last year, at the height of COVID-19 pandemic, Cassie, our beloved Cocker Spaniel, suddenly passed away. We searched endlessly for a rescue dog, but none were available. Everyone seemed to want a pet to ease their aloneness, which meant we were competing with throngs of other people. I heard that. I went through the same thing. Uh, And then after several months of trying, Steve finally said, let's find a breeder. So we found a breeder of mini golden doodles just an hour away, which are so cute. Yes. Um, She said, even though the mother-to-be, Lola, hadn't even become pregnant yet, yet her owner still wanted a large deposit. It seemed crazy, but Steve said, let's do it. Soon Lola was pregnant and the breeder posted photos on Instagram of her progress. By that point, Steve had picked up different strains of pneumonia and was hospitalized and hooked up to a ventilator. I watched him conquer so many illnesses over the years from throat cancer to an aorta valve replacement. This time felt different. Finally, Lola's puppies were born and amid mass nurses and doctors, we looked at photos of her nine puppies and kept tabs as on them as they grew. Their colors were each a different color and they already had names so we could easily identify them. Steve showed the photos of the cute apricot and red puppies with streaks of white on their foreheads, necks or paws to his nurse and doctor. Romeo, the one with the white heart on his forehead, that's the one for us, Steve wrote in his notebook. The next day, this is hard to read. The next day, after a night of pain and not sleeping, he scribbled, am I dying? Cut me out crying. Okay. (laughs) I will never. Uh, Okay. No, you're not dying. I told him trying to comfort him and relieve his anxiety. They're treating you. Those IVs hooked up to your veins are powerful antibodies. First, they cure the pneumonia and then you get off the vent. Just hang in there, please. I wanted so much to believe what I was saying was true that I convinced myself that I had convinced myself that Steve would pull through and refuse to let a negative thought enter my mind. Romeo was now four weeks old, and Steve's writing was becoming less and less legible. Still, he smiled when I showed him the latest video clip of the puppy playing with his litter. Two days later, Steve was sleeping all the time. The medicines aren't working, his doctors told me. It's a very rare pneumonia. I think you should sign a do not resuscitate directive, Anne. Yeah. Um, My husband always told me to keep him alive no matter what, I responded. His internist of many years talked to me, too. And Steve was not only my patient, but also became my friend. There's nothing more anyone can do, he said. His kidneys are shutting down, and you don't want him to suffer any more than he already has. Mm -hmm. For his sake, please sign it. And then she said, okay, okay, just give me the form. She said, I was terrified. How can I live without him? Although part of me was relieved that after 11 years of constantly battling battling different illnesses – and my heart breaking with each new crisis, Steve would be at peace. I was angry. Why him? Why me? And that was it. My permission to give up. No more fluids when his blood pressure dropped. No more monitoring devices hooked up across his body. No blood. No more blood thinners, CAT scans, or blood tests that caused black and blue bruises to spread all over his arms. She said, the last three months have been absolute torture and now he was going to die. I didn't know how I would survive witnessing it, but I was certain he didn't deserve what we were now facing. After I agreed to stop treating Steve, he was transferred to the palliative care unit. Tomorrow we'll turn off the vent. You could sit with him until he passes, the nurse said. Instead, at 2 a.m., a nurse called. Steve had passed away. My immediate thought was, thank you for sparing me the pain of watching you take your last breath. Mm. Then I started throwing up and heaved when there was nothing left to expunge. 
Sorry, this is sad. It is sad, Jen. I I told you, but hold on, hold on. Okay. Um, And then she said, a few hours later, sitting at my computer, still in complete shock, I heard a ping and an email from the breeder popped up. Let's talk. We're ready to decide which puppy is right for you, she wrote. I told her I wanted Romeo. She said, I want to set up a day for you to meet him. This is from the, the breeder. She said, how is May 12th? May 12th was my birthday. I believe oh. without a doubt it was Steve's birthday present to me. He had found the perfect gift, a companion to help me begin my new life without him and a new love to help fill the giant hole in my heart. And Romeo will be ready for me to pick up on June 27th, our wedding anniversary. Oh, isn't that crazy? No, I've got chills. I know. She said, throughout our marriage, I kept my maiden name, but the puppy's surname will officially be Steve's last name and my last name hyphenated in honor of the life we shared. Our relationship might have been unexpected and unconventional. I could have walked away when Steve told me he was mostly interested in men, but I didn't. I felt something beautiful and true blossoming, and I stayed, and I kept on staying for nearly 50 years. Over those years, we became inseparable. Steve taught me to have faith in myself and do more than I ever thought possible. I taught him to have fun and be open to adventures. We changed jobs many times. We traveled and bought a house in the country and planted flowers. No matter what happened or what came our way, we were there for each other because that's what life is about, being there for someone you love through everything. Hospital security never located Steve's notebook, but it no longer matters. Steve and Anne forever is imprinted in my heart. And now Romeo with this white heart on his forehead will always will be by my side. Isn't that so sweet? Jen! I know. That's amazing. (laughs) I know. I knew I was going to cry reading. I knew it. I like prepared myself and I was like (laughs) separating myself from my body as I was reading it Uh too because I knew it was going to make me cry. And uh, I mean, there's just, I, I, how do you read that and not? Yeah. How do you read that and not cry? Yeah. But Um, it's sweet. Is she a writer? Yes. Okay. So, I'm like, she's, she's like, beautiful amazing. <laughs> yeah. She, and yeah. this just happened? Or is this um, happened last year? So it happened, this article um, came out on June 26th of this year. So um, it just happened. Oh my and God. she just got her, um, picked up the puppy from the breeder on June 27th. So like to write that and have that perspective, like. Yeah. It's, that's crazy. That's, yeah. So really amazing. And, Gorowitz lives in New York City, and she's currently working on a memoir called Dog Therapy, Loving and Losing Cassie, about the healing effect of loving a dog and the much-needed comfort and support her Cocker Spaniel gave her during her late husband Steve's illnesses. So that'll make me cry, too. (laughs) (laughs) I know. It's like combining all the things that make you cry. Puppies. I know. Get out of here. (laughs) I know. Um, No, but... Uh, yeah, beautiful story, and um, yes. thank you. Uh, I'm so glad you found that. You I'm so it. glad she wrote yeah. it, and I love that. I just like hearing about people who make things work in their own way, you know? Like, it doesn't have to be this traditional love story or have, like, a traditional marriage to be meaningful yeah. and lovely. Like, these were two people who, like, were with each other for 50 years, yeah, like 
I mean, there's so many elements to the story that is just so beautiful. Yeah. I love it. I love it too. Good one, dude. Thanks, man. So should we do something dumb and something we love? Let's do it. Okay. So my something uh, dumb was Ben's brother and wife and family were all here and it was so awesome to have them. Um, I've talked about them before. I love them so much. But yeah, so they were here visiting and we were like going out to dinner one night. We were taken down to the Beltline to have have dinner and like see stuff. It was like our our one night to go out. And I'm in the car with Melissa and uh, my niece Natalie and Max and I'm driving and we're like driving down Ponce, which is for people not in Atlanta. It's like it's like a uh, so thin, like the it, lanes are so tight. Yes, that's where I had my car accident. Yes, I thought it was of in, you on Ponce. Yeah, yeah. So it, you know, and we're like we're listening to like old school hip hop, and I'm like like talking to Melissa, I'm like in a great mood, and the lanes are so thin, and they're like these old curbs that are just stone, and I have never like hit a curb like that, but I just like. My the car just like I don't know I just obviously I wasn't paying enough attention. So to you hit a well. curb. I hit a curb and it immediately popped my tire. No. So I pull over right. So I'm like okay I can tell this I have a flat tire. So I pull over and Ben is with the other like the other kids and his brother behind me. So they pull over and of course we've like we've had this car for two years but we've never had to look to see if what the spare was like. And apparently the people who sold it to us gave us like a spare that did not fit our oh, car. Oh, no. which it, car was it? Um the 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 Kia. So I'm glad oh, that you no, didn't get an the accident. One that I yeah, that you were driving. So did I, I curse your car with my bad energy? No, I think I cursed it by like being too carefree and then hitting a car. <laughs> so oh, every you know everybody's out of the cars. Ben and his brother, Ben and Jay are like trying to change the spare. We're all trying to like help and it's not fitting. They're like sweating. It's hot. There are bugs all around. We're like, what do we do? We're gonna have to call like a a tow truck. Nobody's gonna be able to go to dinner. We can't all fit in one car. Like it's this is I'm, oh. and I'm just like I'm like feel awful, right? Because I'm yeah. like I it was my fault. Like I did it. I mean I didn't do it on purpose, but whatever. So I'm like I keep like apologizing, and they're just like stop apologizing. <laughs> like it happens. Like nobody is mad. Everybody's like it's fine. It's fine. Um. So then Max is like, what if we use a spare from the the other our other car? It doesn't have a spare tire. And I was like, no, it probably doesn't. I mean, it, it, yes, it has a spare tire. I'm sure it doesn't fit because it's an SUV and this is like a little yeah. car. And then – and Melissa's like, actually, <laughs> that's kind of a good idea. So anyway, so we did this whole vermal. It's like such a hard time getting this other spare out. Like we can't figure out how to do that because there's something broken in that car. Anyway, we finally get it out. It fits. They get it on. And it was great. And then Max was like so proud of himself because he like – you know, save the day. Came nope. up with yeah, the he idea. came up with the idea. Aww, like, I know. And so, so we go to dinner and it's great. And, but I just, it's like I kept in the car, I kept like being like, I'm so sorry, you guys. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. And finally, Melissa was just like, Sally, please, you're like, please stop apologizing. Like, and I realized I'm like, I'm making this worse by apologizing so much, right? Like, I'm just uh -huh. like, by saying like, because I just, I'm feeling anxious and I'm feeling responsible and, right. you know, and they're just like, we're over it. <laughs> like, we're over yeah. it. It just is a thing that happens. Like, I have learned that, yeah. you know, people really, that really does annoy people. Like, I remember my friend Nat, 
one time was like very bluntly was like it I'm now I'm getting annoyed. Yeah. Like, please stop. Because I, long story short, I was in LA, my um, Airbnb fell through and then I ended up having to stay with her and I kept being like, I'm sorry. Is this okay? I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. And she was like, I'm like, if you say it one more time, like I'm really getting angry. Yeah. And I was like, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> you know? Yeah. And that was like, that was like kind of the thing I loved. I Melissa's so great. And she just, I mean, she was like, didn't, I mean, she was said it with like, you know, care, but like, uh-huh. like stop saying sorry. Like it's, this yeah. is, this is now. And I was like, okay, you're right. I am like, now I'm taking my anxiety and I'm putting it on everybody else. I, the situation is what it is. I've said, I'm sorry. They know that I didn't mean to do it. So like now don't ruin the rest of the night. And it yeah. was like just a good reminder. Like my, my friends, Aaron and, and Grace, Dr. Dude fucking Grace, like, we have a rule that like you can't say sorry about things like I'm sorry I'm talking too much or I'm sorry what you know things that you shouldn't be sorry about and if you if you catch yourself doing it instead of saying sorry if I said this before we say fuck you you have to be like yeah like sorry not sorry fuck you like and so because you don't want to say fuck you to people but it like stops you from doing that and it oh, just that is such a smart idea yeah I it reminded that. me to like like okay don't and I don't come in there with that like anxious energy and it was like kind of a gift that she was just like just please stop apologizing let's just have a good time and we did and we had such a like nice visit and it was such a good night after that and it was no big deal we got the tire fixed it was fine good um, so yeah so that's the thing dumb and the thing that I love is just I loved having them visit and I loved that like moment of just reminding like just just let things go and and don't don't make it worse <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it worse with your your apologies that are really just about your anxiety. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, right. Mm -hmm. Because I was just making it about me instead of let you know letting everybody else no, but trusting everybody else to deal with it in a selfish way. Like you don't. I wasn't in a selfish way. I did feel bad, but I also it's like one of those things where you have to. It's like what we say all the time. Like you know, you're. Your life is like you're you're thinking of yourself in a way that other other people aren't thinking of you. You know, yeah. They're oh not, my god, they're thinking of their own things that they messed up on that day. You know, <laughs> without fail, I, I'm sure dudes do not do this. I know dudes don't do this, but if without fail, every time, like girlfriends go out to dinner or like go out and have drinks in the morning. Someone, someone in the group will be like, sorry, I was making last night all about me. Sorry to jeopardize the conversation or monopolize the conversation last night. Sorry if I was being rude because of blah, blah, blah. Like, sorry if I was out of it. I'm just like starting my period. You know what I mean? Like every, and then, and then the whole rest of the group is like, oh my God. None of us even noticed that. None of us. You were know what I mean? That. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry, I was so embarrassing, or sorry, I was emotional. <laughs> yeah. And everybody, everyone is like, "What? I just did that. I just did that." We um, I was we were having a, a me and my girlfriends have, that have all been friends since high school went out to uh, dinner, and um, they it was really obnoxious, like. It was like a, a Buckhead restaurant. We yeah. don't normally go. Like we went to Buckhead because, like, it's a meeting. It's an in between for all the people that live, out, like, in the suburbs and the people that live downtown. Yeah. 
And there's great restaurants there and – we had a reservation for four, but then last minute, one of someone was able to come. And so we showed up with five, and they were like, Oh, sorry, we don't take reservations for five. We only take reservations for four. So you'll have to wait. Yeah. So we waited. It was over an hour, and I was, st- and we were, it was crowded, and we were standing the whole time. And I was like hangry, and I was going to be like late for a show. Yeah. And I was just like, I could not stop staring at like all the tables. Like, you're just sitting there. <laughs> you paid your tab. Get the fuck up! And I was yeah. just like so distracted the whole the whole time. Everybody was just like having a drink and talking and whatever. I was like, I need to sit down and I need to eat something. Like, and so I the next morning I was like, guys, sorry, I was such a bitch last night. I totally started my period this morning. I guess I was really pmsing. <laughs> and they were all like, what are you talking about? I was like, I was being such a dick. Like, and they were like, no, you weren't. No, that was in your head. Yeah, <laughs> no, you weren't. I was like, well, in my head, I was flipping every slow eater's table upside down and putting their coats on them and shoving them out the door. And did you eat and make it to your show? I did. (laughs) (laughs) It was just fine. Just fine. Um, So, uh, yeah, I guess like, so something dumb and something I love this week. Well, it's like, I just found out the Biz Marquis died and I'm real sad about that. That is very sad, isn't it? I know. Yeah. I found out last night when we were at a show. It's real sad. I really like, you know, we grew up listening to Biz Marquis. Everybody knows like Just a Friend song. Yeah. But then also he was on Yo Gabba Gabba. He did, um, Biz's beat of the day, and so like my kids grew up, oh, like yeah. watching Biz Marquee, and he was just like he just seemed like a real good person and good energy. Yeah, and, uh, rest in peace, Biz Marquee. Yeah, um, so that's dumb. Um, something I love. Um, I'm really excited. My two family members, my cousin Mike from Chicago, and my aunt Anne from New York, um, who. I think maybe still listens to the podcast. Are you still there, Diane? I still am. They're Auntie Di. But she is – they're in town, and I'm going to see them tonight, and I'm so excited to finally see them because I haven't seen anybody in years because of COVID, you know? Uh, and we were all quarantined in different states far away from each other. So I'm like – I'm real, real excited to see them. Um, I hope I didn't just jinx it because we have the curse of the podcast. We can't talk about future things we're excited about, but it's happening today. So I'm very excited about that. Hopefully the jinx Um, won't have time to get its claws in. Yeah. Um, Well, that's awesome. I hope you have an amazing visit. It's been really great. Like, you know, we just went on that big tour of seeing people we hadn't seen and it's, it's just really great. It's really so nice. I loved all your pictures. Yeah, we had a great time. I am exhausted, but we had a really great time. Um, all right. Well, you guys, I hope you guys had a great week. Don't say sorry about things you're not sorry about or yeah. to quit apologizing for things that don't need to be apologized for. That's um, a really great tip to say fuck you when you apologize. Yeah, I'm for something that's you. like unnecessary. Of course, apologize yeah. for things that, you know, but like on your eighth apology for like you're apologizing for something that's like – I'm sorry, I dominated the conversation. Like, no. Yeah. <laughs> now you're dominating this again. Stop. Sorry, I had human emotions. I'm sorry, I had human I'm emotions. Sorry. And I was like talking to my friends who love and support me. Fuck you. Yeah. yeah. Sorry, I made you listen to me talk. <laughs> I'm sorry to take up space. I just can't. Sorry, we have this podcast. <laughs> Fuck you. <laughs> Fuck you guys.
guys. <laughs> um, find us on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, TikTok, all at Dumb Love Podcast. You can email us. We would love to hear from you at dumblovepod at gmail.com. Uh, we'd love if you would rate and review, or the best thing you could really do for us is to share us with a friend. Tell a friend, I have this great podcast I listen to. It's called Dumb Love. I love it. You'll love it. Please do that. Yes. That would be the best thing. Um, do all those things, please. And also, don't forget to get out there and do something dumb for love. Dumb, da, dumb, dumb.